Arsene, thanks very much for joining us on the Ornstein and Chapman podcast. I wanted to try and ask you something that's as many questions as I could that haven't been asked to you over the last couple of weeks. One of the most extraordinary things I found, I, I was at the Palladium on Monday night and I've followed all of your interviews, is that for a man so private, you have done an extraordinary amount of public appearances over the last couple of weeks. What have you made of this roadshow, so to speak? Well, it is uh, unusual for me. And I, I thought I made the book and uh, the publisher trusted me, so I wouldn't have done it. They asked me to do it because it's a way you can uh, uh, have success in uh, with the book, so I did it. I enjoyed some of it because it's a long time I didn't spoke to, uh, speak to the media as well. But of course, it's the accumulation of it makes it quite a lot. And uh, because I wanted to regroup it in a very short period because I want to go back to work at FIFA. And that's why uh, maybe the accumulation is, uh, I overestimated a little bit my strengths there. You've missed us in the media, that's nice to hear. Reading the book, listening to your interviews, as well as the happiness about the whole job and career you've had so far, I do detect quite a lot of sadness throughout, nostalgia, a bit of loneliness, quite a lot of loneliness from your youth right up until today. Uh, is that something that you felt and, and, and it almost led you to open up in this book and this round of interviews? Well, when you make a decision at the end of the day, you take advice from everybody, but at some stage uh, uh, you make the decision, you know, and uh, so it is accept the uncertainty of a decision you make that creates that tension because uh, what creates stress is uncertainty and pressure from outside. So. That means it's a moment where you feel lonely, but when you build a team on Friday night, you know about the eight players, two or three you don't really know, and it's when, how you feel. So at some stage you have to make a decision, and when you make a decision, uh, only you can do that. That's, uh, you have that feeling of loneliness sometimes. Has that led you to daydream? have dreams, have nightmares about Arsenal, about incidents, about matches and results? Yes, of course. You, uh, The club lives with you for 24 hours a day. When, uh, when you sleep, sometimes you wake up and uh, you think about the next training session, you think about the next game, how you want to play. And, but uh, now? Now? No, now I, no, I, now, now I, go, I analyse a lot. I still support Arsenal and uh, I watch the game when I can every time uh, and uh, but I watch all the football games you know I can tell you now when everybody plays next Saturday and I can't wait to see the game to watch the games so I think uh, the passion once you have a passion you die with it and uh, a passion for the game on my side has been so intense that I'm accept it now that I can never get rid of it. A theme of the book, when you walked into the marble halls and the offices for the first time, was the class that Arsenal mm. exuded. Yeah. At the Palladium on Monday night, you said that when you left Arsenal, you didn't feel, and forgive me if I don't get the words exactly right, you didn't feel a strong urge from the club for you to stay attached. And so you said, OK, I'll take my distance completely. Do you think your departure from Arsenal was done with a lack of the class you came to know from Arsenal? 
I wouldn't say that. I just feel uh, maybe uh, people felt that the club uh, that they cut completely the link with me to allow the, uh, the guys after me to work with uh, more freedom, and I would not be a shadow over them and uh, and uh, maybe uh, inhibit uh, them a little bit. So. And on my side, I thought maybe it's not bad to cut completely the relationship, you know, and uh, and uh, do something different, take my time. Having said that, uh, uh, it was tough because uh, when I drive out here, my car went straight away to the training ground, what uh, it didn't do anymore. So that uh, suddenly you have not that environment anymore where you used to, and 22 years is 22 years. I think I... Uh, gave absolutely all, everything, for, for during these 22 years. You did, but in the book, and I quote you here, you talk about a hostility from a section of the fans and the board being unjustified. Who was that from on the board? I uh, don't want to make that public, but uh, uh, that's how I experienced it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't like... Uh, to do a book where I don't give my honest feeling about what uh, what happened. And uh, so that's why as well the link has been cut off, you know, completely after the, uh, my uh, stay at the club. So I can understand that, but uh, that's what happened. Have you cried since leaving Arsenal? Has it been that emotional that it at, at any time? No, I, I've been sad, you know. Uh, you don't go well when... Uh, Sadness becomes uh, chronic, you know, and uh, I've been sad, but uh, as well, I'm, I, I did never go so low down because I, I feel at the end of the day, the real judge is uh, inside you, you know, and uh, I knew that I uh, loved this club with total commitment, that I was loyal to this club, that I served this club with integrity, courage as well. Overall, yeah, I know I made mistakes, and but you have, uh, and I reg- regret every mistake I made. But overall, I think I've given uh, my best for the club, and that's why I could live with it, uh, without it as well. You do mention in a couple of the interviews that you've kept in touch with some people. Some people keep you updated occasionally. Yeah, sometimes people need advice for something. They call me. You but know. do you speak to anybody at the top of the club? No. Okay. On page 199 of the book, you talk, to, you talk about Arsenal once again being in the best possible financial situation. You actually say that now they're in the, a position to do so. You mean winning the Champions League. That's what you refer to. Uh, do you really feel that when they've made 55 redundancies, that they're in the best possible? Or, or you mean as opposed to when you had well, the stadium uh, first, restrictions? First of all, I, I don't know. What I wanted to say, the burden of a stadium is not there anymore. Because, yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, uh, the television money has increased so much, but the payment of a debt now today is very minimal. And uh, uh, at the time, we needed the Champions League money to pay the debt back. And I explained that even at some stage we took money out of football because of we, in 2008, 2009, because uh, we had to pay the Highbury, the building of uh, Highbury. Of all, I say today, yes, I left uh, with a stadium, with a fantastic training centre, fantastic stadium, with uh, 
After Man United, I think we Tottenham, the biggest stadiums in uh, in the country. So the income is there, and uh, now we can focus to buy experienced, strong players. What we do, we have invested a lot of money in the last two years. And in this window, and you mentioned that in one of your interviews, they found money from somewhere. Was there a bit of feeling, ah, I wish I had that opportunity? Well, I had it at the start. I could compete, you know, but uh, after we had less money. But I accepted this challenge and I'm not sad about it. It's just uh, when people win championships and suddenly they don't win championships anymore. Uh, they feel, uh, what's going on there? Uh, has this guy lost it or what? But uh, look, you, you look over, I think we're three times first, five times second, five times third, uh, six times fourth. So the consistency uh, of the results was exceptional if you compare to other clubs in Europe. But we had not anymore that little zip that gets you in front of others. The fans used to chant on occasions, spend some effing money. Were you not spending because you couldn't or because you were, in their words, stubborn? Look, uh, it was not my money and uh, I treated the club like it was my money, but uh, I did not spend it because I, we had not the money. It was not difficult to understand that if you build the stadium, where we thought that the start will cost 220 and cost 428 or 440, that you have not the same resources. At that time, I, I feel I guided the club through a very difficult period. We had some, well, we played some great football as well. You talk very eloquently about the restrictions, about losing players, um, how difficult it was to operate at that time. But equally, you explained that you felt we had to leave Highbury and move to the new stadium to allow the club to fulfil its potential. Given how heavy the restrictions were, if you could turn back the clock, would you have left Highbury? Do you really think it was worth all of the struggles just to fulfil some financial potential and get more bottoms on seats? I would say overall, if you take the situation globally, yes, because uh, the future is not uh, my 10 years I spent at the Emirates or my, my uh, 12 years I spent at the Emirates. It is, it is uh, the next 20, 30 years. Could you have survived Highbury had no opportunity to develop Highbury at all, not even 5,000 you could add, and uh, the Emirates it was needed. It was not uh, experienced in a positive way for me because I loved Highbury, but uh, overall for the future the club needed to do it and uh, today uh, I think it's, we are in a strong position on that front. You were seen as an innovator and you were. But the perception was that clubs caught Arsenal up and then you didn't reinvent and push ahead of them again. Mm. Now we know a lot of the circumstances thanks to your book and your explanations. But towards the end especially, there were some quite brutal defeats. I think back to Chelsea on your 1,000th game in charge, 8-2 at Old Trafford. People said, even now the style has gone. Did you feel you were losing control of what you had built from the start. Liverpool jo just lost 7-2 at Villa. Would you say they have lost their style, you know? I think a big defeat is never really an assessment of, of a quality of a team. And when you look at the, we lost at Chelsea heavily, uh, but uh, with 10 men, we lost at Man United A2, it's true. 
but after having played at Udinese three days before, in an unbelievable heat where half of the team could not play on Saturday, and we qualified. So uh, you have uh, always to take a little bit, analyze a little bit deeper to make assessment. Did we have uh, were we less good than the 2004 team? Yeah, of course, but uh, uh, the 2004 team was exceptional because after you had you have still fantastic teams. Nobody was unbeaten the whole season. How do you feel when people say, look at Sir Alex Ferguson, he reinvented his backroom staff, he made changes. Yeah, he's right. And that you didn't and should have, they say. I don't deny that, but uh, Alex Ferguson had, uh, when you you see they had Ronaldo, Rooney, Van Nistelrooy, Giggs, Scholes, when you see the career of these players, what a great team they had, and we still managed to beat them. And they had not the financial restrictions. Where did Van Persie go? To Man United. Why? Because they could afford the wages we couldn't afford. So, and uh, where did uh, all the players go? To Man City. Why? Because they could pay the wages we couldn't afford to pay. So at the end of the day, you know, it's down to economical strengths. Not the changes in the backroom staff. Like when he kept changing assistant managers. I feel... Uh, the backroom staff we had and the, the, the environment of the team we had was top class. Ferguson renovated his staff because he himself was not a lot on the pitch. He needed uh, coaches who uh, maybe to change them because he got vibes that the players now they are tired of uh, having three years of this, three years of that. And uh, he did that very well and I say that in the book, you know. But we had a different way, a different way to manage, and uh, we had different uh, financial resources as well. You tell some beautiful stories about the signing of Andai, essentially in a car park, of yeah. Lillian Turam, who you changed his flight when he was at the airport. Yes. Can you tell me your your favourite or a couple of memories where that or similar happened at Arsenal that maybe people don't know about. I know about Park Chu Young diverting on the Eurostar when he got your... Yes, yes. Uh, Danny Welbeck when you were at the Match for Peace? Danny Welbeck when I went to the Match for Peace I, at the airport. I've been told he comes down to sign for Tottenham and, uh, <laughs> and I managed to intercept him. In fact, it was a funny story because I was negotiating all day. Uh, we had Ivan and... Uh, uh, Diclo to negotiate and I, they called me up and I had the agent on the phone and I told him, look, I have to hang up because I'm in front of the Pope. He, he said to me, what? I said, yes, because we were queuing up to make a photo with the Pope in a private audience, you know. And uh, because I was at the back of the queue, because I had to talk and negotiate, at some stage I arrived in front of a Pope and I had to say, look, that's not possible anymore. I, I will uh, meet the Pope now. <laughs> and you still signed him. And we still signed him. And there must have been countless examples of both that and also a, any comparable examples to where the Grand Passate director came with you to Cannes uh, to sign a player. He had second thoughts. He said, give me 10 minutes and you were going to rescind your contract yes. if he hadn't signed that player. He did. I told him. And you told him and you got your way. Did anything like that happen at Arsenal? Uh, no, because at Arsenal I had uh, this responsibility to decide in, uh, who will come in and uh, who will go out, you know. So overall, uh, that was all right. But I think uh, when young coaches advise, ask me for advice now, 
I always say that to them, you know, you have to clearly define what are your responsibilities inside the club. Are you responsible to buy and sell players or not? Can a player be bought without you? Because coaches are given to their players, they don't even know. They turn up at the training ground in the morning and say, well, who is this? But it is one of your new players. That is why it is important to have a contract specified, clear, and prepare the divorce as well, because the life expectancy of a, of a manager is less than 18 months now. Yeah. So it's humiliating enough to have to go after a short period, but you cannot come in and beg, uh, please, uh, what can you do for me? Why didn't you take Cesc Fabregas back when he wanted to return to Arsenal? Because it was a, a general uh, guidance for me to have that, uh, to make the player say, look, if you go out here, you don't come back. And uh, it was a, a way to retain the players who wanted sometimes to see if the grass is green or somewhere else. I did it for Thierry Henry. So Campbell, Jens Lehmann, but they were Saul older. So Campbell, Jens Lehmann, but there was different, you know. But the young players who left, I uh, didn't like to do it. Emotion, raw emotion and, and hurt with players. Uh, you've talked in the book about injuries and some guilt you felt around that. What about Emmanuel Abue leaving the pitch in tears? And conversely, what about Emmanuel Adebayor, a player that you gave the career to and then he celebrated vitriolically in front of your supporters? Well, I would say uh, that was not the best move of his part. <laughs> you know? and, uh, but somewhere... He was not convinced to leave Adebayor, you know. And uh, he felt a bit resentment that I pushed him a little bit uh, to go. So that's why I explained it like that. And uh, Emmanuel Ebué, uh, it happens that he lost it completely. And then you think, guy, okay, I comes on and uh, he misses the first pass. You think, okay, it's normal, it goes on. And then the second pass. And then you are under threat to uh, lose the game, you have to take him off because there is no other way. And of course, uh, sometimes, uh, many times, you know, that uh, people suffer and uh, feel worthless. Difficult part of our job is we, we produce jobless people on Friday and we employ them again on Monday morning and say nothing happened but now fight again to get in the team uh, on Saturday. The passing of Jose Antonio Reyes must have hurt you. It was terrible because uh, I did fight for him uh, with David Dean, who went to Sevilla and he called me. said, oh, it's difficult here, the, the supporters are outside, the president doesn't want to sell. I, I said to him, I don't care, bring him back, <laughs> you know, bring him with you. And uh, he managed to do it. So he came to us and he was part of a 2003-2004 squad. And in the Champions League final in 2006, I decided not to play him and put Pierre's in front of him. It was. He did never like that. And uh, so overall, uh, it was happened the day before the Champions League final, you know, and it was unbelievable. I was in Spain. Uh, it was unbelievable that moment. And it's very sad because his parents came over here as well, you know, to... It was so sad. Mm. I'll finish on a, a much brighter note. Did you ever celebrate properly in a way that nobody knows about. Did you ever get drunk? Did you go to the local restaurants and let loose? You 
enjoyed some of the most spectacular footballing achievements. Tell us something we don't know, Arsene. I'm sorry to disappoint you. I was drunk one time in my life when I was 18. And uh, since I had sometimes one on the border, you know, but really drunk, no. But uh, I loved after the game to be with my staff and uh, have a quite internal contentment and uh, share the moments of happiness because uh, you suffer together and you celebrate together. You have always to prepare for the next game, you know. And uh, so you think if I do that tomorrow, I have to manage the guys who didn't play. I have to be uh, focused and concentrated. That's the monastic life you talk it about. It is a monastic yeah. life. Yeah. It's a boring life, you know, even for players. You, people think see only the glamour turning up there, but it's basically a boring life. You go practice, go home, sleep, come the next day, practice, play, go back. Uh, and uh, when you play anywhere in the world, yes, you visit every place in the world. But you visit the airport, the hotel and the stadium. Bye-bye. All the rest you don't see. It might be boring for you, but it's not been boring for us. Thank you very much. You look incredibly well. Keep smiling and keep giving to the game <laughs> you love. Thank you very much for your kindness.